Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, Ashley here. In the last podcast, I told you the next one would be about women, men and communication at the office. And that show is coming up in August. But in the meantime, I'm re-releasing a show from last year that most of you won't have heard before. It's called Killing the Ideal Woman. And it deals with some of the ways women see themselves and their roles in society and how that can limit us on the career front. Also to let you know, in addition to that upcoming show about communication, I have other shows in the pipeline about executive presence and about how single professional women without children often feel left out of the whole conversation about women and work. Now, here's Killing the Ideal Woman. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace and success. I'm Ashley milne This week on the show, perhaps one reason so few women are in positions of power is that we're too busy trying to live up to a stereotype. Women were making career-limiting decisions consistently based on this ideal woman. And the ideal woman does it all. She looks really good. And she is very nice. Coming up on The Broad Experience. Jodie Detchen thought her career as a consultant was still going pretty well after her first child was born. But then she had her second son. He had colic and she was exhausted, overwhelmed and depressed. Then her husband started travelling a lot for his job. Suddenly she was doing everything house and child related and working less. Still, she told herself being the perfect mother was more important. But she spent five years feeling miserable as home responsibilities took over, competitive parenting practices set in, and her career dwindled. I had kept putting it away, sacrificing my career for my children, using that mantra, and it was painful. And it hurt me a lot. It wasn't until I really got out of there and realized what it was I was doing to myself that I started to find the freedom and then started to figure out what my career looked like and make it what it is today. What she realised, she says, is that for her, career was vital. She couldn't be happy without it. She's now a professor of management at Suffolk University near Boston. She's also the co-author of a book called The Orange Line, A Woman's Guide to Integrating Career, Family and Life. She and her co-authors Michelle Waters and Kelly Watson interviewed 118 women in the US and Canada while they were researching the book. All were professional and college-educated, most were married, and nearly all were white. As they talked to more and more women, the authors began to notice a pattern. When we were analyzing our data, we kept hearing things that would come up such as, oh, I can't really ask for a raise or a promotion, I'm not quite ready yet. Or, I have to get up at 2 a.m. in the morning because even though I work a full-time job to take care of the baby because my husband has a physical job. Or I have to have the government job because my husband has his own business. Or I have to have my own business because my husband has a big job. In essence, what we kept hearing is, is all these reasons why women had sacrificed their career for somebody else. Jody and her co-authors say self-sacrifice is part of what they call the feminine filter, a set of beliefs women tend to have about themselves and what they should be and do. 
And the feminine filter, what we realized was is that women were making career-limiting decisions consistently based on this ideal woman. And the ideal woman does it all. She looks really good. And she is very nice. And so if you have to do those things, and clearly you don't have time to do a lot of other stuff. If you have to take care of the kids, you have to take care of your employees, you have to take care of the house, you have to take care of the dog, you can't have time to do a lot of other things like take care of yourself. We heard this again and again, and what our conclusion really was is that this is why women aren't in the positions of power, because they are trying to be the ideal woman, and they're not thinking about what it is that they really want. Now, of course, a lot of women want to stay at home with their children full-time and do, at least for a while. Not everyone puts great emphasis on their career or enjoys it. But of the women Jody and her fellow authors interviewed, 75% described themselves not just as liking their career but loving it, yet many felt compromised. I asked Jody to take me through the six assumptions that underlie the so-called feminine filter, which she says is responsible for a lot of female frustration, even if women don't always realize it. Number one. Women are primarily responsible for home and family and taking care of everyone. So when we believe that this is true, then we're the ones that do, that do the doctor's appointments. We're the ones that take care of making sure the kids have school clothes, that anything that goes wrong in the house, we are the ones that call the handyman. We do everything at home because we are the ones responsible. The buck starts with us. The second assumption women make, according to Jody, is that our commitment to something is measured by how much time we devote to it, be it children or work. In other words, we really need to put in those hours. So this comes out in, I have to keep my head down and work, work, work. I can't go out to lunch with, with all the other people because I have to, I have, there's work to be done. Next. The third one is we have to be perfect in behavior and appearance at all times. So this basically means that we can't make mistakes. We can't take risks. We can't take a promotion. For example, one woman was one to take a promotion, but she was like, oh, I'm not quite ready yet. I don't have all the skills yet. Meanwhile, the men, of course, are just jumping ahead and saying, oh, I'm ready. The fourth one is we are never good enough. So because we are constantly trying to be perfect, everything that we do is subpar. The fifth assumption, she says, many women have internalized is that tangible material rewards aren't supposed to matter. Money and things, in other words. She says this is why so many women feel uncomfortable and even guilty asking for a raise. And then the last one is if we follow the rules, good things will happen. So if we keep our head down and we do everything that our boss is asking, then of course we'll get the promotion. Of course we'll be asked. Of course we'll get the raise. And so what happens is we believe that these things, these assumptions are true, and then we act according to them, and then we're shocked when we don't get, when life doesn't work out the way we want. That last one about following the rules really resonates with me. It took me years to realize that towing the line wouldn't get me where I wanted to be at work. I think a lot of women slave away at the office because hard work always got them results at school. But the workplace is a different beast, and all that unquestioning labor can easily lead to burnout. So you have this great chapter in the book called Approaching Burnout, which I think a lot of um, listeners will relate to, probably regardless of their sex. But um, maybe we can talk about some of those examples, because... You've, you've enumerated in the book, you have these little tables where you set up a scenario and then you talk about the underlying assumptions beneath it and then you sort of discuss a solution, basically. 
And so let me read one of these. I will manage. It's only temporary. I just need to get through this short time. I can rest when I get through this crunch. Just talk about that example and what's really going on there, if you would. Well, what's going on there is that because we assume that we need to be perfect, we need to have everything look good. We can't say no to anything. We can't delegate. We can't give it to um, somebody else to do. We can't make a mistake because then people will see, oh my God, we really aren't perfect. And then our whole facade is gone. I'll give you an example where this happened. So one of the women that I was working with is a manager. And she was working until 8 o'clock at night. And she wasn't going home and seeing her family. And she was getting burned out. And because everything needed to be perfect. And she couldn't possibly delegate it to her staff because they weren't capable. And they didn't know how to do anything. And it also had to look really good. And she also wanted to be nice. And so and they were leaving at 6. And she was thinking, what's going on? And I was talking to her and I said, well, think about it. What, what exactly are you assuming? And when we started to look at it, we were seeing that she was assuming that she needed to be perfect in behavior, that it was a reflection on everything that, that her team created was a reflection on her. And if it wasn't perfect, then people would see she wasn't a good manager. And then if she didn't take on their work, she wasn't being nice. So clearly she wasn't being a good motivator. And then when we started to look at the underneath part, we started to say, oh, that's not true. How do you develop people in your team? You develop them by giving them work and coaching them and giving them feedback. How do you develop yourself? You develop by making mistakes, by getting feedback. And so she started, and also by setting boundaries, by saying no to things, because people have to sit with things that are not, that it's not an easy task to do, and sometimes they have to figure it out. And so as she started to realize the mistakes that she was making, she started to implement these things at her work, and her team started becoming more capable, and she started leaving at six o'clock. Jodie and her co-author's opinions don't sit well with everyone. For one thing, the authors say just because many women's jobs pay less than their spouses, women should not automatically view their own job as less important. And you in the book are really, you want, you want to really encourage women not to look at their job as less important because it pays less. But you've had some pushback on this. Their response seems to be, look, if his job pays three times more than mine, of course it's his is more important. And if he lost his job, it would be a catastrophe for our family. If I lost my job, it wouldn't be. Talk about that for a minute, because women seem very resistant to taking on your point of view on this. I think what we've internalized is that we are less important. And we've definitely internalized that our careers are left less important. And so what we're doing is we're conflating value with money. And we're saying clearly his job is more important because he makes more money. But this isn't always true because we've had many women that, that, that change. So for example, there was a woman who got laid, whose husband got laid off and he was making more money. Well, if they didn't have her career, they'd be really stuck. But the fact that they had her career, she was able to manage that, that family for a year until the, fa- the husband got his career. Her career ambition enabled the family to grow and to learn. The other thing that happens is because we make this assumption, oh, he's making more money than me, then women naturally close down their career as things come up. So they make their careers even smaller. 
But here's the real problem. What ends up happening then is we perpetuate the myth that the only people that can make it to the top of organizations are those that have spouses that are stay-at-home or spouses whose careers are not important. And so anybody who wants to have an orange line life where you have a career, family, and life, they can't make it to the top of organizations because clearly they aren't willing to sacrifice everything for that job. So we're stuck. We're stuck in this model that nobody likes, but we're the ones perpetuating it because we're the ones enabling our husbands. And we're doing it by saying that our dreams don't matter as much as his. Which perhaps isn't that surprising after centuries of being the second sex. It takes a while for most people to get over that much social conditioning, providing they even want to. For some, it's just the way things are. We are told as women that we're supposed to be like this. And just like it's the whole follow the rules, right? To be a good woman, you've got to take care of your house. So if we say, no, you don't, women are like, well, yes, I do. My house is such a, it's a reflection on me. It's a reflection on my family. Well, why do you have to do it? Or we spoke with a woman um, a couple weeks ago who they both work. The husband's a school teacher, and she basically said, the husband is not good enough in helping the children with their homework, so I have to do it. And when we pushed back, we realized that the husband was actually a school teacher. She was like, oh, well, uh, uh," She, she didn't know what to say, because it's hard. It's really hard to see this. And of course, many women enjoy those kinds of activities. But if you're frustrated by attempting to balance home, life and career, Jody says, just think for a while about all the assumptions you make about your life and role on a daily basis and question them. After several unhappy years after her second child was born, Jody and her husband agreed no one's career is more important. Both our careers are considered equal. So then, all right, what does that mean? What that means is... If I have to travel, we negotiate. If he has to travel, we negotiate. It means a lot of conversations about logistics, but it also means we both get to have careers that we love and want and that our kids get to watch us enjoy our work. And this role modeling is powerful for me. Jody Detjen, co-author of The Orange Line, A Woman's Guide to Integrating Career, Family and Life. That's The Broad Experience for this time. You can comment on this episode at thebroadexperience.com or on the show's Facebook page. I'm Ashley Milne-Tide. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.